chapter 1 is where we're going to be at this morning. And, uh, you know, I uh, enjoy to tell you things about myself so that you can psychoanalyze me and figure out, um, figure out exactly what to think about me. So this is an enjoyable process for me. So when I was a kid, um, I, when I would ride in the car with my parents, so we're at our house and we have to leave our house. And the, the road to leave our house has a little bit of a curve. Uh, to it, and then on either side of that curve, there is there are no guardrails, um, and uh, either side of that curve, on both sides, they drop off into uh, like a wooded ravine. So on both sides of that curve, they, they drop off. Uh, there are trees and stuff all around, but there are no guardrails here at this curve. And this is the, the way that you have to take to get uh, out of my parents' house every time. And so when I was a kid, I would be sitting in the front seat, and I would be staring at that curve, and every time my parents would be uh, driving, and it doesn't matter which one of them it was, as we approached that curve, I got the sense increasingly that they were going to continue driving straight um, and go over the edge of the curve. This was just inside of me. So all the time, when I'm sitting in the front seat and I'm looking at that curve as it is approaching, I start to say, you have to turn, you have to turn, you have to turn, because I'm freaking out that my parents are going to like miss the turn and somehow go off into the edge of the ravine. And so that was the experience that I had riding in the car from my house. And, uh, and so, you know, what's amazing is once I started driving, I didn't worry about going off the edge of that ravine because I was the one driving the car. Right? Like, I was the one who was in control of the situation. I knew what was going on. And so, I, like, I didn't have to worry about uh, anything happening because I had control of the situation. Right? So, this was my realization uh, as I reflect on uh, what it was for me to be a kid. This is, this is my realization. Someone besides me has control of what happens to me. Right As I'm sitting in the front seat, my seatbelt is buckled, which means I am more firmly strapped into this car than I would be otherwise. Uh, I am like, my parents are about to barrel over the edge of this, and I'm realizing, oh no, I actually don't have control of what happens to me in this situation. They could just go over the edge. And, uh, and so that was kind of the, the realization that I came to. And you know what? I really don't like that. I don't like that someone else has control of what happens to me. Like, I have a really hard time accepting the reality that, like, I can't change anything about my circumstance here. I just kind of have to deal with it. And this is, for what it's worth, a tragedy of the human condition, right? Especially especially when we live in a society that is so aimed at individual freedom. Right? And like, that's where we live. Like, we have freedoms and we have rights. And our society tells us, like, this is, like, it is the best thing for you to be free and make the decisions for your own personal autonomy. And so the message that we get as we have this human condition and also we live in a society aimed at individual freedom is that the best thing for you is to be in control of what happens to you. 
right? Like that's the message that you internalize. And this is why, for what it's worth, that we Americans spend so much time not liking our presidents, right? Because somebody has control over what happens to us and we typically don't like it. We don't like the control that that person exercises in one way or another. This is why our bosses make us miserable, right? Because somebody else has control over our situation, and we don't like the way that they're exercising their control. Everything in us bucks against the thought that something outside of us has more control over the events of our lives, maybe even, than we do. And that reality grates against us. And then simultaneously, somehow, scripture and experience convey that like one of the most life-giving realities is that like when you come to the place where you are able to surrender to the truth, that you actually can't be in control of many things, let alone everything. And when you like come to this realization, like This is a place where the Lord can meet you and sustain you and give you peace and life when you can't have control of your situation. Right, so so the question that we're going to kind of move forward with this morning is, how do you get to a place where not having control can actually maybe be life-giving for you? How do we get to a place where we are able to find peace where uh, it's not in our power to make peace for ourselves. How do we get that? So, um, so this gets us into a series. We're in this series for Advent called Fear Not. Uh, and so we talked about Advent a little bit last week. Advent literally means arrival. The word Advent literally means arrival. It speaks of Israel as they were waiting for the arrival of their king the arrival of their Messiah, the one who was coming to rescue them. And uh, this, by the way, they were waiting for after 400 years of God's silence. God was not speaking through his prophets. God was not obviously acting in any way. And so they're kind of waiting for the Messiah to come in the midst of all of this, but they haven't heard from God. And so what we're doing in the series is we're looking at three different announcements of the Messiah's coming. Each announcement opens with a really unique command. It says, do not fear. Do not fear. Each announcement meets people in the middle of their fear and concern. And and what they do, like these announcements are meant to be able to set the fear at bay, to calm the fear down. So like, let's confront a reality. Realizing that there are things outside of your control is incredibly fear-inducing. Like coming to and accepting and sitting with that, uh, it is a fear-inducing thing to recognize that there are things outside of your control. Like your livelihood is based on your superior's uh, perception of your job performance. You know what you can't control? You can't control your superior's perception of your job performance. Like, no matter how good you do, you can't actually control how they perceive what you do. Right, Uh, how many of you all can do something about inflation? If you can, I would love to talk to you after the service. That would just be a joy for me. Um, Like, those of you whose uh, parents, um, your parents and, and your kids start driving, 
get a driver's license, and all of a sudden you realize how little control you have over their safety, over what they can do, over where they go, and how they spend their time, right? So, so today's announcement speaks good news to someone when she realizes that she is not in control. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So just a note, this morning... One of my goals is that you would actually, like this announcement, as we consider what it means, that you would actually receive comfort from this announcement. That is like one of my goals. But at the same time, I kind of want to remember something else. And that thing I want to remember is that you have friends and neighbors, family members and coworkers who are in the middle of situations right now, and I think increasingly so because of the events of the last two years, who uh, they are realizing how little control they have of their lives. And if you take time to dig in and listen to them, they are afraid. If you listen really well to how they're processing their life, how they're uh, reacting to various situations, they are afraid. And so, yes, maybe like you actually, what you need to do is receive comfort this morning, but actually maybe what you need to do this morning is to learn to be someone who speaks good news into the middle of people's fear. And so here's the point, like uh, as you listen this morning, we're trained to kind of just listen for us and see what we can get. I want to ask you to be really intentional to listen for your friend or your neighbor or your acquaintance or your coworker who is stuck in the middle of fear and feels like things are out of control. And see how uh, the announcement of good news might meet them in the middle of their fear. So Luke chapter 1, we're in verse 26 this morning. Luke 1, 26 and 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So in uh, the verses prior to what happens right here, what had happened was that uh, the angel Gabriel had actually appeared to somebody else. Gabriel appeared to this guy named Zechariah. And for what that's worth, uh, this did not go great for Zechariah, this meeting of Gabriel to him, right? Uh, He's old, and uh, so is his wife. And the angel says to Zechariah, in your old age, uh, you're going to have a child. And Zechariah says, hey, you know what? We're old, so prove it to me, right? Like that's essentially like the core of what Zachariah says to the angel. And uh, so Gabriel says, you know what, Zachariah, you don't believe, so now you cannot talk until the end of your wife's pregnancy. Uh, and so this, this same, this thing that happened with Zachariah, now uh, Gabriel, after he appears to him, is now going to appear to Mary, and, and it's interesting, if, if you read the two accounts, these, uh, these two things are paralleled next to each other. It's like uh, Luke is kind of comparing Zechariah and Mary for us, for what it's worth. So this, uh, Gabriel appears to Mary, and he has something to say to Mary. So uh, Luke one twenty eight. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, uh, for what it's worth, Gabriel, he very, very much like in his appearance, in some ways looks like a person. Like it's very likely that Gabriel has kind of the form and shape of a man, right? Uh, But there's something unique about his appearance in that um, there's something set apart 
about the way that he looks. So yes, he looks like a man, but at the same time, uh, about his appearance, about the way that he talks, like he is somebody who is very obviously like powerful, has a lot of authority. So like in other places in scripture, when we see angels appear to people, what we see is like, yes, they appear like men, but uh, sometimes like they have, they're described with shining faces, like lightning, right? That's what some of the, the passages say. Like they, they have a face like lightning. Uh, they uh, talk about how their arms and legs like look like polished bronze, right? So there's something, I, I, don't, I can't even picture like what they're trying to say necessarily with that other than uh, there's something striking, right? And they're, they're ornately dressed. Right? They're, they're uh, dressed in gold, gold and linen. Right, There's something about this that they have really striking physical features that seem kind of like when you see this thing, whatever it is, like it might appear like a man, but it seems superhuman. Right, like That's the, the experience that you get. So, so Mary sees Gabriel and sees that, but then Gabriel like opens his mouth and speaks. And for what it's like, I just have a guess this is probably unlike anything Mary has ever heard before, right? Like, as she's heard people talk before, but she has not heard people sound like this person sounds. Like, other experiences in Scripture, when you hear an angel talk, you hear something like the voice of not, like, one person, but you hear the voice of a crowd when the angel talks. Or uh, at another place, an experience like this, actually the, uh, the person who appeared was God, or God was speaking, and it says his voice was like the sound of many rushing waters. Right? So you get these like, supernatural experiences where uh, this angel is appearing, and the voice that comes out is striking. Like You hear power from this, uh, this angel's voice. So this is obviously like a really unusual experience. It's beyond anything that she has ever encountered before. And he gives this encouraging greeting. But what's interesting is that she does not hear the encouragement in the greeting. Because in verse 29, it says this. It says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, if you read back in the verses prior, it's obvious what kind of greeting this is. You are favored, and the Lord is with you, right? But she is so struck by this moment that she doesn't know what to do with it. She feels like, uh, is this, this could be bad. Like, I really don't know. And so, so here is uh, Mary's discerning realization in this moment. Her discerning realization is this. I'm in the presence of of someone very powerful. As Mary is like experiencing this, she sees this, she hears the voice, she sees what he looks like. She says, I am in the presence of someone very powerful. Now, I don't, like, I don't think we have many experiences in modern day life to compare this to. But what I want to do is I want to try to conjure up some kind of idea of what must be going on inside of Mary. Like, Okay, so this is not the best I can do, but go with me for a second. Imagine, like, remember getting called into the principal's office as a kid, right, when you were in school? Right, you don't know what you did, or, or maybe you do know what you did. Um, you don't know what's going to happen to you. You know that there's a, a good chance that there's going to be some kind of questioning of you and some form of justice that's going to be paid out against you. And so, like, if you get called into the principal's office, nine times out of ten, your perspective is, this is probably not going to go well for me, right? 
Or like, uh, it makes me think of a call I got when I was 17 years old and the, the police officer called me and said, hey, you need to come to the police station and uh, I'm not gonna tell you the story about why that was right now or ever in front of other people. But, uh, but the police officer called me and said, you need to come to the station. And I did know what I did. There was no question in my mind. And, um, and so I had this experience, someone with the power to carry out justice called me and said, you need to come and talk to me. Like, he is not calling me to shoot the breeze. I know exactly what is going on in this situation. Right? This moment for Mary, she is in the presence of a being with authority and power. Right? That she realizes the strength of this uh, person that she is in front of. And he even identifies himself with God. When he says the Lord is with you. So if like she's having trouble listening and is awestruck, all she hears is like she sees this powerful being and she hears the Lord. And right, all of this is kind of going, okay, the power difference in this moment is really tangible. It's really felt. Right? And she is not looking forward to the end result of this meeting. So I want you to notice, like this is Mary's crisis moment. Like in an instant, she is kind of staring her finite nature in the face. She has no control. She's at the mercy of another powerful being. Her agency in life feels very small to her. Right? Like she she is in the passenger seat and she sees the ravine in front of her, right? So, church, people around us are having experiences like this more frequently than we care to realize, right? Marriage is careening off course. People constantly stuck at the mercy of your boss's bad decisions, being stuck in the middle of hard situations, people confronting their own lack of power to change anything. And here's the crazy thing. Like, we believe there's good news for these people, but we don't just believe it. We have it. We have the good news for those people. So let's see what good news there is for people who have no control. Luke 1.30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So um, just be aware, like some of these promises, some of these things that the angel says, they're going to be for Mary only. Like we can't broadly take them and apply them to all of us at all time and say these promises are for all of us. And so just listen to this stuff. But so, yes, there are promises for Mary specifically and what she's going to experience. But every single one of the promises that is made to Mary shows us something about the character of God. Right? It shows us something about who God is. Like, like since God is this powerful being who is actually sending this messenger to give this message, and like since Mary's fear is kind of this realization that she is very small, she has very little control when God's angel is in the room, and if God is the one who is like ultimately in control of everything, and here's a hint, he is, and if this message is from God, Right then, like not only does Mary need a message to her to assuage her fears, but she actually needs a message about God to assuage her fears. Because she's not the one in control, he is. So she needs to know things about the one who is in control in order for her fears to be assuaged. Like if God, who hasn't spoken for 400 years, is becoming very real to Mary 
Mary is going to need to know something about God. So just to be clear, it's, it's not the messages about what happens to Mary that assuage the fears. In fact, all of the, all of the message about what's going to happen to Mary actually reveal more and more how little control she has. Right? Like they tell her, this is going to happen to you. And there's no like, you have to make a decision. Like you have to do this, this, and this. It's just, Mary, this is going to happen to you. Right? And that's the promise to her again and again and again. In fact, like, so, so it's the messages about God's character that actually meet her fear. It's those messages that tell her that God can be trusted. So we're going to listen to what this angel tells Mary. And we're going to discover what this announcement actually tells us about God's character. And it says that, that Mary had found favor. So, so we're going to actually, so we're going to kind of go through. There will be like nine different things that we discover about God's character this morning. I'm looking forward to kind of like digging them up out of this announcement. So the promise, the, the initial saying to Mary is that you have found favor. Right? For what it's worth, there's nothing outstanding about Mary that would cause her to find favor. Other than she like believes God when he speaks. Right? Now she is in David's lineage. She's going to marry this guy named Joseph. But you know what? She is a young woman in a society that like pretty traditionally overlooks young women. Right? Most of her life is already decided for her. And through all of that, she has kind of this faith that shines. She trusts God. She serves faithfully. But for what it's worth, like none of that makes her particularly stand out. And so it's interesting that the angel, the first words that he speaks to her are, uh, Mary, God favors you. Right? Because she has no reason to look at the world around her and think that she is particularly favored. So the first thing we discover about God's character is that God sees what others overlook. He sees Mary in the middle of this situation, and he meets her with this message. And so in verse 31, it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So first first notice, uh, this is a promise to her. Hey, Mary, uh, so... God sees what has been overlooked in you. But uh, Mary, you need to know that you're going to conceive. You're going to become pregnant. You're going to bear a son. And uh, Mary, this will happen to you. You will not make this happen. You will not do anything about this. This is just going to happen. Like regardless of what you do, the thing will happen. But Mary, here's what his name will be. His name's going to be Jesus. right? And if you, were, if you remember from last week, we talked about that name, Jesus, what exactly it means. Yeshua, Joshua is the same sort of thing, but it, it means God saves. Right? So Mary, something's going to happen to you. You have no control over it, but Mary, his name is going to be God saves. Right? So, so the kind of reminder of God's character is this. Mary, your God is a rescuing God. God is a rescuing God. You might feel like things are out of control and you may not be able to do anything about your situation, but God is a God who saves. And your son's name 
as you remember this thing that happened to you that actually like radically changed your life, made your life probably much harder than it had to be, every time you speak your son's name, it's going to be a reminder to you that God is a God who saves. Verse 32, he will be great. So uh, these promises, they get into kind of the nature of this son that Mary is going to have. Right, The angel starts to tell Mary things about this child who's going to come about. And she doesn't really know like, how to put this together or what to expect or what to think about it. And so when the angel reveals, like what the angel reveals about the child, the first thing that the angel reveals about the child actually reveals something about God. So, so the angel says, Mary, he will be great. Great is a, speaking of his power and his authority. And so, like, Mary, you may feel powerless now. But your son is actually going to have real power and authority. And you think about that, like that's, to Mary, that's impossible. Like that does not compute with her place in society. Like neither Mary nor Joseph are necessarily great. Neither are in any kind of nobility. You know where they live? They live in Nazareth. Right, you, uh, you read the stories in the Gospels and uh, Nathaniel uh, hears about this guy named Jesus and he's, uh, he's come as the Messiah and, and Nathaniel says, uh, where's he from? And he, so they say, well, he's from Nazareth. And he goes, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right, like uh, people, strong, pow- powerful people, people in authority do not come from Nazareth. Neither Mary nor Joseph have any notoriety. Right, and what you would expect is that their children would inherit their place in the social order. But not this child. And so what you learn about God's character here, even in this word that, uh, that, he is, uh, that he will be great, the son will be great, is that God is not governed by human expectations. Right? He doesn't fit our framework of what we think should work and how uh, people should be and where they should be in society. Now, this may not seem immediately comforting to you because, like, Part of why God being in control is so frightening is that, like, I kind of think he should do everything like I would do it, right? That's my impression of God. But we expect, too, that he'll use his authority like we would use our authority, right? And so God not being governed by human expectations kind of tells you that God isn't going to do it the way that you would do it. But through this small promise, Mary is reminded that... um, that God is extending blessing to her that she should not be able to have. A blessing that the son should not be able to have. So it goes on, it says, he will be called the son of the most high. We always miss this. Whenever we see the title son of God in the scriptures, it's really easy to kind of gloss over it and just go, oh yeah, he was God's son. Right, but, but one of the realities is that in this culture and even like in the Bible, the, the idea of sonship carries more than just like, oh, that is a child of this person. It means something significant. Like to, to call somebody a son was all about full identification with the father. So to say that Jesus will be God's son is to say that basically Jesus is of the same kind as God. Like when, when he is called the son of God, he is of the same kind as God, which is why the Pharisees got so frustrated every time people called Jesus the son of God, because to them, what they were hearing was blasphemy. Because nobody can be God's son. Nobody can be of the same kind as God. So 
so what Mary hears when she hears he will be the son of the Most High is this reality about God's character, that he is entering into human experience, right? This is why another of his names in prophecy is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the God who comes near. So then it goes on. says another thing about this child. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Like, so each, each word that this angel speaks, it kind of peels back another layer of what's going on, another layer of the wonder of what's happening. Like up to this point, it would not have been obvious that like you kind of go step by step through this promise. Like Mary is not immediately going to grab onto the fact that the angel's talking to the Messiah until we get to this promise. Like the angel is talking about the Messiah because you know what? Mary and Joseph are both in the lineage of David. And for what it's worth, they're a long way down the, the lineage of David, like 800 years down the lineage of David. And, and there was this promise made to David all the way back uh, when he was living and walking on the earth. And this is what that promise said in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16. And we've I've kind of condensed all of it, but this is what it says. It says, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And he shall be to me a son. And I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. Just like be aware of what that means. The discipline is not for the wrongdoing that the son has done. But in this prophecy, the, 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 the stripes is for the wrongdoing of other people. And what we're going to see is that this is like kind of a dual fulfillment. So, uh, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you, your throne shall be established forever. So as you hear these words about David's son, what you're inclined to think is David's literal son right now, Solomon, right? And there is a reality where some of what this is saying is about Solomon. But there are things written in this passage that Solomon cannot possibly fulfill, like a throne being established forever. Because you know what happens like after Solomon dies? The kingdom splits apart doesn't exist anymore. It's split in two. And then you have lines of the children of David kind of in this kingdom of Judah, right? And they go, but like this thing is falling to pieces. It's falling apart. It's not staying together. This is not a throne that is staying established forever. So this promise to David had to be about something else. Either that or God's not faithful and uh, people were not ready to put that on the table. So there's this one who's coming in the line of David. And everyone saw this as a promise about a better king. So, uh, so you hear, so, just for what it's worth, as you listen to Christmas songs, they, they say this word about the root of Jesse or the stump of Jesse out of a branch of the stump of Jesse will shoot a tree. What it's saying is Jesse is David's father. And uh, Dave, or Jesse was going to, through David, and his uh, lineage was going to grow into this mighty tree. But then after Solomon failed, the tree kind of gets cut off and is a stump. It's ruined, but it's saying a shoot is going to come out of that stump. Like new, something new is going to grow out of that thing that's been cut off. That's the promise to Israel. And so you fast forward now 800 years into the future, and the line of David has drifted into obscurity. They live in Nazareth. Right? There's not nobility here. 
This fulfillment through David thing seems really unlikely for what it's worth. The king who is ruling over the area is kind of just like a proxy, right? He's not uh, anybody of any notable prophetic authority. And so when God speaks of the throne of his father, David, what would have happened at this point is that Mary's ears would have immediately perked up. And it would have told her this about God, that no matter how bleak things seem, God keeps promises. No matter how um, hard things are looking, no matter how little control you have, Mary, let me tell you something about the God who's coming to meet you in this moment. He keeps his promises. So then in verse 33, it says, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. So now this isn't just looking at a promise made to David. This is going all the way uh, back to the promise of Abraham and then Isaac and then Isaac's son, Jacob, and this, uh, the house of Jacob, the house of Israel, right? This is the kingdom that uh, through uh, the promise was made to Abraham. Through you and through your lineage, many families of the earth will be blessed. So when the angel makes this promise about the house of Jacob, it is a reminder, you don't just go back to David, you go all the way back to Abraham and promises made to him. And so here's the reminder of God's character. Mary, God is faithful. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Again, another reality of God's character. Mary, you may be concerned about the future. And even after that promise was made to David and those kings ruined what happened, God is still doing something where he is going to set right the things that are wrong in the world. He's going to establish his kingdom. He's going to come and righteousness will reign on the earth. Things will be as they should be. So what this tells Mary about God's character is, Mary, God has the future in his hands. Right? Like he... He's got it. It's his. Right? So all of these things are reminders to Mary of who God is, this God who is making these promises. And so Mary has a question. Right? She sees all of this, and she, she hears about these promises of the Messiah, and it's getting her really excited, but she's curious. And so her question goes like this. How will this be? By the way, she's not asking it to say, I don't believe that can happen. She's asking it to say, help me understand how this can actually happen because I'm a virgin, right? Like, I, we're not married yet. Uh, we still have a long time to go in our betrothal period, but you're saying this is like about to happen right now? How could this possibly be? So in verse 35, the angel gives the answer. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. For what it's worth, uh, the Holy Spirit coming upon somebody is Old Testament language. And every time the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody, they become really powerful, right? They are able to do things that normal human beings cannot do, right? And so there's something about this uh, promise to Mary that's saying, you know what, Mary, God is going to empower you in a way that other people have not been empowered. Right? He's going to come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And this promise about you know, being overshadowed, so in, on one hand, you have the fact that God is going to empower you for this, but then on the other hand, you have the fact that God is actually going to like place his protective wings over you. Right? The idea that you get is that he is kind of stretching himself out. He is going to be your fortress, which would be really comforting for somebody who is, going to, uh, who is about to face social rejection for having a pregnancy before the end of a betrothal. 
So he will come upon you. He will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and called holy, the son of God. So, so what this promise is to Mary is Mary, yes, this is a hard thing. This is an impossible thing that you can't even imagine. But Mary, let me tell you about the character of God. Where God calls, he equips. If God is calling you to something, he is going to equip you for it. He'll give you the tools that you need. So then in verses 36 and 37, there's a final promise here to Mary. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, who has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who has been called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary, as you're worried about these things that are going wrong, as you're recognizing, yes, I see that you don't have any control in this situation and you're in front of this, uh, this powerful being, right? But remember God's character. Finally, God works miracles to accomplish his plan. It's the It's the way he works. He can work outside of your expectations. He can work outside of the way things kind of typically go in order to accomplish what he's trying to accomplish. So all of these kind of realities of God's character come forward to Mary. And so then at the beginning of this situation, like she was uncertain. She was kind of very aware of her lack of control. Right? She, she actually gets no promises about control that she will get. Right? Because, again, if we, if we are fearing because we're lacking something, like fearing because I lack control, we think the solution to our fear is I have to regain control. But that's not the solution that's given to Mary. The solution that, give, that is given to Mary is something else. Here's what she gets. She gets supernaturally spoken truth about the character of the one who is in control, And every truth that is spoken about him, every promise that is realized about him, every gracious word revealed or received by Mary, it all kind of meets Mary in the middle of her fear and the realization that she has no control. And this is what it says. Mary, God is trustworthy. You can surrender to him. Mary, like, I know that you don't, You can't control your situation. You feel very powerless in the middle of what's happening. But Mary, God is trustworthy and you can surrender to him. So verse 38. Mary responds. Like, what do we do when we don't have any control? How do we get to a place where we can accept that it's okay for us not to have control? Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So you guys know that Beatles song, Let It Be? Let it be, let it be. Um, you know, think what you will about the song for a second, but it's reflecting on this moment where everything is like coming down in Mary's life. Like the possibility of her future, what it could be, like, who knows? Right? And this might be like just saying, okay, you know what, accept your situation, accept your plot in life, and you know everything will kind of be okay and it'll work out. But the promise to Mary is, hey Mary, here's God's character. Here he is. Here are the, the, here's the truth about him. Here's what he's going to do. And that, it's that uh, kind of reassurance about who God is that puts her soul in the place where she can say, 
Whatever God says, let it be. It's okay. So, uh, so what? So I just have two this morning. So my first one is this. Where are your neighbors at and what do they need to hear? Right? Like part of our responsibility in the call to love our neighbors as Christians is to listen, to be aware, to understand kind of what their experience is. And for what it's worth, like fear is at its core a recognition that something is outside of my control. Right? Like we all, for what it's worth, have a place where this realization hits us. And we have the word of God, right? Which means that your neighbors have a place where this realization is hitting them. And and this message comes to people who are struggling to kind of maintain control and afraid of letting go. And, And God says to people in the midst of that situation, I am drawing you. Right? So, so what truth about God shown in Jesus' coming is actually going to help your neighbors see that God is trustworthy? Uh, is, it, is it that God sees those who are overlooked? Because you're interacting with a lot of people who, in, in all of their circumstances, are feeling really overlooked. Right? And they can't control that. They can't do anything about it. Can I tell you a story about a God who saw a woman who was incredibly overlooked by her society? And lifted up her status beyond what anybody could imagine. Right? Is, it, is it that God works miracles to accomplish his plan? Could I tell you a story of a woman who thought that uh, pregnancy in old age was impossible? Or can I tell you a story of a, a woman who thought that uh, pregnancy as a virgin was impossible? Or can I tell you a story of a God who was finding some way to come to earth and that seemed impossible, but God all the way through worked miracles to accomplish this plan? Right? Mary had promises from God that were for her. But those promises and the writing down of God's word actually extended beyond her to us, right? So we get to become recipients of the results of those promises. What that should mean for us is that while these promises are for us, they cannot stop with us, right? They, they can extend beyond us to our friends and neighbors because there are people in the middle of situations where they feel like they've lost control, And you need to listen to them, you need to hear them, and help them see how the truth about Jesus can actually show them that he's trustworthy. Uh, Number two, so what number two? The story of scripture reveals the character of the one who is in control. Right? Like ultimately what was spoken to Mary were just words about God. Right? Here is God's word for you, Mary. Right? And I wonder how many of us, as we get, get stuck in the middle of our situations and we get stuck in the worry and the concern, we miss out on the word that God wants to speak to us because we're not in it. Right? We're not engaged with the ways that he is speaking. And this is the value of being in your word consistently right? and being in his word consistently. Because as you read it and as you engage with it, it, it tells you and reminds you of realities of his character. So you go deeper in the word of God, like there's this place where all of us get to grasp these realities about who he is. And these pages, they exist to remind us that when we fail and when things are out of control and when we can't do anything to make the situation better for us, God is trustworthy. Look at his story. 
time and time again, answered promise after answered promise. 400 years of silence, and then after that, he spoke and showed up, and he's still doing something, right? And the Lord is not slow to keep his promises, right? He keeps them again and again and again. Like, our hearts need to be convinced, right? And it is on the pages of Scripture that our hearts become convinced. So when you are struggling to surrender, look to Scripture to find the reminder of who God is. That though the world is chaotic and though you feel like you still have no control and though human beings around you who do have control of your situation still fail, God is trustworthy and you can surrender to him. Amen. Church, would you pray with me, please? Lord, as we reflect on these truths that were spoken to Mary about your character. And yes, they are truths about what was going to happen to Mary, but they revealed to her something about who you were. Our, our hearts need to be convinced of who you are. Lord, so as we take steps of faithfulness to, to look to your word, to understand who you are. And yes, in this Advent season, as we reflect on what it means that over years and years of seeming silence, you were still working and you were still keeping your promises. Or as we reflect on all of these things, um, I recognize too that our hearts are not inclined to believe them apart from the working of your spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, my ask of you is that you would shed away whatever hardness in our hearts exists, whatever uh, fight to maintain control exists inside of us, that you would shatter that and you would help us see and rest in the truth that you are trustworthy. That it is good for us to surrender to you. Lord, that we would believe in the depths of who we are that you are a good God. You love us and that we can trust you with everything. Father, I thank you for these truths about who you are. We trust you to work them more deeply into our hearts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.